Welcome to Beautiful Salt City. I am Jim Unruh. My conversation is with Jeannie Kuntz. Among the many ways to describe Jeannie, she is part of the Good Neighbor Experiment with First United Methodist Church in Hutchison. Welcome to spring. Spring in Hutchison means windy days and storm seasons and people spending more time outside and seeing their neighbors. Spring means reconnecting with folks around us and this reconnection helps create a better community. This year, especially after a year of distancing, the possibility of in-person connections is meaningful, but also still brings challenges. The Search Institute in Minneapolis studies the effects of connections on students. They have found that when students feel disconnected or disengaged from people in school and the broader community, it contributes to a negative experiences and outcomes in their life. A lack of strong connections can lead to greater struggles with academics, participation in risky behaviors, such as means of coping, challenges with emotional regulation and stress management, and difficulties building healthy relationships. Students need connections with caring adults to feel hopeful and confident about their future. And I think this applies to all of us. So we want folks to feel connected, not to experience trauma, to have a say in their lives, and to feel hopeful for their future. In other words, we want everyone to feel safe, to have enough resources, to have caring and connecting relationships so that they can share their gifts. We want to invest in everyone's life in order to have the best Hutchison and the best Reno County possible. Those are my thoughts. What are your thoughts? Email me, jim at hutchfmc.org. A new thank you this week. Thank you to my niece, Mackenzie Unruh, for the graphic art design that you can see on the podcast page at hutchfmc.org. Thank you to Matt Rowland and the Hermitry for this song, Feels Like a Game. Thank you to Grace Rowland for a closing song. And thank you for listening. Hi, Jeannie. Hi. So tell us a little bit about who Jeannie well, I am a native Kansan, and I was born in Buckland, Kansas. My father... Great Southwest Kansas. Right. My father was a United Methodist pastor, um, and as that, he moved a lot at the will of the bishop, and so we moved about every three to five years growing up. So I moved all around the state, and we ended up in uh, Mission up in the Kansas City area um, for my last five years of schooling through high school. So before that, I kind of moved around central and western Kansas every three years. And that moving really shaped who I was for good or good or bad, but lots of transitions in there and moving. So that probably made me a shy kid, harder to get you know, get connected and transition between communities. I love playing the piano, and so I did that. Took lessons from the age of five up and 
got really involved in like jazz band and choir and musicals in high school. So I really thought I would um, go into piano performance. So I went to the University of Missouri, Kansas City to do that. And my first year of college was um, 9-11. And I'd also been involved in my church youth group and gone on mission trips and really kind of had a heart for those who'd been kind of affected by disasters or those living on the margins. And that event just kind of really like hit home I just didn't think I was supposed to do piano performance. Part of that was I hated to practice. (laughs) It really made it not fun. Um, And part of that was that um, I really just felt God was calling me to something, to do something um, more with my life um, directly that would help people. So my parents had heard about this Habitat for Humanity Fellows program at Sterling College. And I applied to that and changed schools and um, graduated from Sterling College with a Christian Ministries major with an emphasis in missions and a minor in social entrepreneurship. And I've really never had this great like plan for my life. And some people just know what they're supposed to do. I think most of us don't. And I didn't really know what I was going to do with that, except I had to do an internship with Habitat for Humanity. So I did that up in Tacoma, Washington for about six months, but got really homesick. So I came back and my parents were living in Hiawatha, Kansas at the time. That was where my dad was appointed. And so I found a temporary job um, at the city filling in while they were looking for a city clerk. Um, And I was uh, engaged and waiting to get married when my husband graduated from Sterling. So then we moved, when he graduated, we got married and moved to Kansas City, and I was looking for any type of nonprofit mission. I looked at governments, and I ended up working for a city. So then I pursued that and pursued public service. So that was a way for me to kind of fill that service um, component that I felt called to, to serve others. And I pursued my master's in public administration and really thought that I was going to be like a city administrator. Um, But God just kept closing doors. And the nature of local politics kept getting more divisive. And I just really didn't think there was a way for, you know, effectual change there. Um, I wasn't seeing the way that local government was really helping out those on the margins and God was still kind of pulling at me to do something different. So I began looking into what that would be and decided to um, pursue a calling to um, be a deacon in the United Methodist Church. And so at about the same time that we decided, I decided to do that, um, we decided as family to move to Hutchinson to be closer to my husband's family. So we've been in Hutchinson for about four years. Of course, I was familiar with the area from going to Sterling College, and I'm, you know, familiar with smaller town Kansas as well from my growing up. So I've been working on theological studies for my, um, to become a deacon, and I've been kind of doing some different ministry activities with my church and 
volunteering and stuff and trying to, I mean, a deacon basically is called to connect the church to the world, especially in the areas of mercy and justice. And so instead of being in the name of the church, what they call an elder, somebody who's the one ordering the church and kind of being the you know, lead pastor and overseeing the church, I feel my calling more is to equip and empower the church to be the hands and feet of Christ in the world and to take God's love out into the world in, in community. Thank you for sharing that. When you look back at your childhood, what was the toughest transition for you? Probably when we moved from Concordia to Phillipsburg, so I was just finishing fourth grade. So in Phillipsburg, middle school was fifth through eighth grade, which was ridiculous. And that was the hardest thing. Phillipsburg was a little smaller than Concordia then, and just changing at that age was not, was not a good experience. And how about the change to mission? That was good. <laughs> I was ready, so it and it was it was good because I got to experience bigger city, bigger school, more diversity, and I formed some lifelong friendships. So even though for me personally, I have found that Kansas City is too big for me to feel connected, um, especially because my my connections were all over the city. That it was a good it was a good change for me. Social entrepreneurship. Talk to me a little bit about that. So um, as part of the Habitat for Humanity Fellows program, we were required to minor in social entrepreneurship. So which is kind of like almost a fancy way of saying nonprofit business, but a little bit different because you're trying to kind of build the business from the ground up, do something that a business that would improve um, the community. I've never been very business minded, so I enjoyed the things I learned there, but I never had this plan to like start my own business or anything like that. But, um, and with that, we also um, focused on servant leadership. And so that was a big thing, part of our fellowship program. And a big thing at Sterling College was um, how to be servant leaders. So you talked about part of the deacon's role is to connect mercy and justice. What, can you define those two? Um, so, I see mercy more as um, an individual kind of one-on-one act. Often we think about that as the ways in which we donate food, we help we help people. So more of kind of an immediate need. People have immediate needs and we meet them. And so that's that mercy work. We tend to their hunger, we tend to their sickness. And justice is more a communal community thing where it's just, it's getting to the root causes of what needs the mercy work. So we say, well, we have a lot of hunger in our community. What are the factors that are causing people to not have enough money to buy food or do we not have enough healthy food? And then looking back to see what those causes are and addressing the systemic issues around that. Mm-hmm. And servant leadership is a buzzword. So how would you define it? For me, a lot of times we think about leadership in a kind of a <clears throat> hierarchy, the management's in charge, and they tell from the top down, well, you're just going to do this. And a servant leader is more on the same level playing field, 
out of a sense of humility saying, I'm going to show you, I'm going to be an example of what I want you to do. And so somebody who's willing to do the same job as what you're asking them to do, but also set that example of what that would look like. So when you look around Hutchinson and Reno County, what are some immediate needs? So where is mercy needed? Um, I think there's a lot of hunger. There's mental health issues. There's a lot of trauma, which um, ties in to those mental health issues. I think we have a lot of a lack of good paying jobs, which contributes to that. And so being able to have a living wage that will support your family without having to have multiple jobs, which I mean, all of those things compound upon each other. Uh-huh. And how about justice? Part of the justice issue in Hutch is probably the way it's been developed, that we have at least two or three Hutchinsons that are very different from each other. Part of the justice issue is, are we paying people a living wage? Do we have jobs that will pay people a living wage? Or do we mostly have service industry jobs? Do we have jobs that will help people who have been incarcerated or have felonies who are trying to get their life back? Do we have affordable health care? Do we have affordable mental health services for people? So access to those things for all communities, not just those who already, already have access. You're one of the first folks that talked about incarceration here. In, in the conversations I've had. Have you run across some families or individuals? I haven't really, but okay. I mean, we have the the prison here mm-hmm. and it's just on my mind. I mean, if we have that community here, we're gonna have people who get out here mm-hmm. and how are they gonna get back into community? I've yeah. had family members who've served time before. Okay. So that probably plays into my thinking, but I mean, that that's a part of our community and how are we set up to help people when they get released yeah and we have lots of families that move in to be Be close Mm -hmm. folks in the correctional facilities and then what happens to them when those folks get transferred to other correctional facilities around the states so what would your vision be for hutchison and reno county given all those things i think one of my primary maybe values or desires is that everybody would have connection. So moving around a lot, I didn't have that in a deep way. I think the longest I've ever lived anywhere was five years. So we've lived here four now, so it's coming up on (laughs) matching. But this is the first place, especially as an adult, where I felt I could actually put down roots. And I've really appreciated that. It's big enough where you can still hide if you want to, but I I just think that's really important that everybody would be able to establish roots and be connected to others to have that support system. Anything else with that, with vision in terms of that? So people are connected, rooted, supported. And I think just having sufficient resources or access to them I've been blessed to have access to resources. I don't know that I've ever been wanting, but when I first started working, we weren't that far away with kids from 
you know, not having enough resources yeah. with the extraordinary price of daycare. So <clears throat> it's always on my mind is, you know, people working two, three jobs just to make ends meet. And then how do they, how do they do everything else? And so <clears throat> making sure people are connected, but also that they have the resources they need. How would you define living wage? Well, I can't really put a number on it, but yeah. <laughs> it would be enough, you know, enough money where you're not having to work more than one job. So enough money to work a full-time job to be able to pay for your expenses so that you could pay for your rent and have adequate housing, be able to pay for healthy food um, and uh, meet the needs of your family. That's a really important distinction between where nationally we're having a conversation about living minimum wage, right? And minimum wage and living wage are completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, as you said, each family defines that differently based on where they live. And so what it means in New York City means differently in Hutchison, and it means differently in Buckland and, right. and all that. How do you respond to church folks and community folks when they look at some of the poverty issues and the list of justice issues that you mentioned, and they say to you, well, if they would just get a job. I would tell them that it is a full-time job. I mean, if you have to be spending all of your time looking for resources and trying to figure out how to get from here to there if you don't have transportation, and if you add on that having any sort of family that has special needs that you have to attend to that, it, I mean, it is a full-time job to live to live in poverty. And even a year ago, pre-pandemic, unemployment was at 3 or 4%. And so most folks in our community had jobs, at least one job. Right. It's not necessarily that people aren't working. It's that they're not being paid a wage that helps them live without needing assistance. <clears throat> so it's not that people are lazy. It's that we don't have jobs that pay them a wage that lets them live. And I don't think it's, I mean, if somebody wants to work two jobs and work overtime and that's their lifestyle, but to force somebody to work um, 80 hours a week just to make ends meet and not, that's not helpful for the community at all. Because now if they have kids, they don't have time to spend with their kids. They have extra stress and trauma and I wouldn't want to do that. And, you know, we all need downtime and relaxation time and play time and creative time and time to be in the community and overworking people just so they can make ends meet because we don't have a living wage or some might say, well, they just need to get better education or find a better job. And sometimes that's just not mm-hmm. possible. So I always find it interesting that people use different words for their vision statement, but oftentimes an aspect of the vision statement comes back to something some experience that they had in their life. And so you talked about the importance of connectedness, rootedness, and support system because you didn't feel like you had that always. Right. So what is connectedness, rootedness, a support system added to your life? I think it's added like a, a sense of safety, like a mm-hmm. sense of comfort, of less stress, like... I'm not so worried about the other, the other ball dropping the shoot, you know, something like my life imploding because of one thing. Like I know there's people out there I can reach out to if, if something terrible happened that 
not just my family, but there's people in the community that would be there for me and for my kids. And that there's people that, that care about us in the community. So you've talked about kind of calling and working on theology and working with the United Methodist Church. What are some projects or, or things that you've been do, trying to develop? So at um, First United Methodist Church, we've been working through the Good Neighbor Experiment, which is a curriculum put together by the Neighboring Movement um, out of Wichita. And we've it's like a four-unit curriculum, each unit six weeks. And it just kind of walks you through kind of the art of neighboring, what neighboring is, and... What is neighboring? Reaching out to your, getting to know your neighbors, um, being connected to them, being being there as a support to them if they want you to be. Um, and so recognizing the gifts that others have. So oftentimes when people think about all of the mercy things, all they see is need. And so it's shifting your framework to say, well, where what are the gifts in the community? Um, just because somebody's living in poverty doesn't mean they don't have gifts to offer. So we're we're looking at the gifts and then as a church, when you when you find out all those gifts in your neighborhood, then you become a you can become a connector. So if you hear something from one person or organization, and somebody else is like, "Well, we need this," you could be like, "Well, that organization does that," and you become more of a, a connector to all of the different groups that have those gifts. A two part question: How is your theology shaped your desire to do neighboring? And how has neighboring impacted your theology? Well, my theology, I guess you think of love God and love neighbor as yourself. And that in order to love God, we have to love our neighbor. Um, so I think neighboring has rem- shown me and reminded me of all the gifts that others have to offer. And the image of God, that we're all made in the image of God. And so by neighboring, by being in relationship with others who may be very different from us, we're seeing different parts of the image of God. And so that's how neighboring's kind of shaped my theology and understanding about that passage about love God, love neighbor. It's both, it's, a, it's not love God and then love neighbor, it's a both and by loving our neighbor, we are better able to love God and know who God is. And by loving God, we are, we have the tools we need to love our neighbor. How has it impacted your life? Well, I think it's, it's just reminded me about the importance of connection and that we were created to be in relationship. And so that focus on relationship, I mean, that's who God is, a God of relationship a God who is in relationship with God's people and a God, if you think of God in the Trinitarian concept of God and the Son and the Spirit, that the those um, persons are in relationship with each other. So God is a God of relationship and built us to be in relationship. And so when we're in relationship, we're being like God. In your ministry world, what makes you angry? I guess people who don't think we need to be in relationship outside the church walls. Uh, So people who, 
who think that the church is going to be fixed or revived by getting people in the building and not seeing the need, the desire, the calling, the um, commandment to go out and love our neighbor. And love our neighbor mean we have to be in relationship. It's not a, I'm going to donate items, which is useful and helpful and needed, but that I'm going to be in relationship even if these people are different than me. So if people are interested in new neighboring, what would be some first steps? Well, the good neighbor experiment kind of starts in your own neighborhood. Um, and so kind of the first step is to get to know the neighbors with the eight doors closest to you. And um, kind of remember the idea of experimentation. So don't worry about failure. Some people aren't going to want to be in relationship and that's okay. But some of the experiments remind you to take something with you. So you might not want to bake something in these days, but you could take a prepackaged item or, you know, and just go meet your neighbors and ask curious questions. Try to find out more about them and their gifts. So kind of focusing on just getting to know them do you have some set curious questions to get you started? No. Um, if you've noticed them, you could like look around. If you notice them being out and about or look around their yard or do you see things that might indicate a certain hobby or a certain interest, you could start, could start there. Um, I noticed you keep your lawn really clean or I've noticed your beautiful flower garden. Do you like to garden? So just kind of trying to be observant to what they might be be interested in. What other resources are needed for kind of doing the neighboring? Um, and I think an open mind, I guess a willingness to fail, so that experimentation idea. If you're, if you're shy, if you're an introvert, find somebody to go with you. Yeah. <laughs> the partnering part. Um, really important. And I guess just when it's, especially as the nice weather comes out, I just encourage people to be out, like in the front yard. So one critique of the Good Neighboring Project is that it's with the people that you're closest with and with some of the housing issues in the multiple Hutchison's, two Hutchison's or three Hutchison's, is that we tend to house with people who were similar to ourselves. Mm -hmm. So how do we work at then crossing boundaries of the two Hutchison's or the three Hutchison's? Well, I guess if you, in your work or school or other things you do, if you already start are crossing that boundary for any reason, you could start trying to build relationships there. Mm -hmm. And you could intentionally go to another neighborhood, take somebody with you and be a little daring and just say, hey, we just wanted to know more people um, in Hutchinson or if there's different groups in different areas, trying to connect with those groups who may be in a different part of Hutch than you're familiar with or already involved with. Yeah. And so the school, I mean, schools are in Hutchinson are based on neighborhoods. And so that... They are. I guess my kid's school isn't so... Right. <laughs> kind yeah. of is, but not as much. Yeah. So that's why yeah. I thought of that. And then when kids get older, middle schools and high schools, trying to pair up with other parenting parents there, but... Any other thoughts about Hutchison? I just, I felt really welcomed here. And that might 
that might not be everybody's experience, but um, I hope everybody can feel welcomed. I think there's a lot of potential. I, the com community is so engaged from what I've experienced other places. And so I guess if you're not involved and you want to become more involved in neighboring or getting engaged in the community, just, just go do it and try because we could definitely use more people. Well, a community where everybody has enough resources are connected, rooted in a support system. That sounds like a cool community to live in. Thank you for talking, sharing. Thank you for having me.